Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Our guest today is Rob Campbell. Rob is a leadership coach, keynote speaker, veteran, and spouse advocate. As a retired Army colonel, Rob has over 27 years' experience leading organizations ranging in size from 24 to 5,000. Rob likes to share that in his career, he has overcome organizational challenges and led change and has succeeded, failed, and learned along the way. Rob is also the author of two books. His first book published in 2017 is called It's Personal, Not Personnel. Leadership Lessons for the Battlefield and the Boardroom. And his most recent book, published this past April, is At Ease, Enjoying the Freedom You Fought For, a soldier's story and perspectives on the journey to an encore life and career. Rob Campbell, it's a pleasure to have you on the Success Inside podcast. Hey, great show you have here, Howard. I appreciate you having me on. Fantastic. You know, the podcast world has become very small because as I start to have guests on my podcast and maybe some folks acknowledge what they have shared, their authors as well. And it's like, when I saw the work that you do in the leadership space, the coaching space, working with veterans on their life after military service, and I'm thinking about my career as a career coach, I'm thinking, oh my God, there's definitely some lessons and some insights that I would just love to hear from you. Before we kind of dive into the book, because that, that is why we're here, can you share a little bit about your background? I mean, obviously those 27 years in, in the military, but I like when our listeners can kind of get a little flavor of what your journey has been. Yeah, I'm getting better at this. I'll uh, try to neck it down to the <laughs> you know, the elevator pitch, right? Grew up in Massachusetts, born and raised, went off to college there. I was a basketball fanatic, played sports in, in high school and all that, but I didn't make the college team in the freshman year. So that passion came to a screeching halt, and that's where I stumbled and found the Army and determined that, you know, this is kind of neat. I kind of like the leadership challenge, the opportunity to travel, and all that the Army had to offer. So I went all in, finished my degree, and went on active duty in 1990, and the rest is history for 27 years. Infantry officer, ranger, paratrooper, commanded at several levels, as you mentioned, from a platoon of 24 to a Army brigade, the 101st Airborne Division of nearly 5,000. Amazing career. And it's a lot of fun to be on the other side of it now and look back, you know, pursue that same passion in my encore life. I appreciate that. And you have made it sound very simple. And it's like, oh, this is the dream life. And <laughs> I can imagine looking back, there's been some highs, the lows, the what have I gotten myself into? And as you went from college, having the degree, and what was your degree in, by the way? Business administration. Business administration. So back in 1990, when you got a business degree, you ended up working at a consulting company, a bank, and then you, you slogged behind a PC for the next 15 years, 20 years. Maybe you had a layoff here and there, but you chose the military life. And was there an aha moment that this insight when you got in of like, what did I just do here? <laughs> yeah, there were lots of them along the along the way. I mean, even before I joined, whether this is what I want to truly do. I think it was the cause that really got into my DNA and being a part of a band of brothers and sisters that really sunk into me. As I reflect back, I probably shouldn't have pursued a business degree. I did that because my dad sold a commercial insurance. He was a businessman. It's okay. I'll follow in the footsteps of my dad. And, and I did that. And I, I don't know major regrets, but as I reflect back, maybe history or something in the 
you know, human psychology domain would have been really good for me because I really was passionate about that. And I think all of that calling, that that part of you know that teamwork and all that that the military provided, and just being part of it, you know, connecting with human beings and and all of that stuff just really attracted me. And you know, I couldn't have explained this back in 1990. Oh, this is why I'm doing this, but it just felt right, and I ran with it. And I'm so glad that I did. How did your view of leadership, and this is, we probably could have hours upon hours, and, and I know I kind of agreed, we're only going to go about 30, 45 minutes, so you're safe. <laughs> the role of leadership and being a leader in the military, and, and as I have been reading, as I've learned going through my own training, the role of, uh, of leadership in the military has evolved. And perhaps at one time it was, you jump and the soldier says, how high, sir? Whereas in this day and age, we care about how we lead teams. Everybody is in this together. No one gets left behind. How is this leadership construct in the military, how did it evolve for you? Because, I mean, you don't get to become a colonel unless there's something there that others are recognizing in you, I would imagine. Yeah, it's a great question. And you actually, you laid it out very nicely in terms of the evolution of leadership in the military. When I came in in the late 1980s, it was very machine-like, I must say. It was really just about the mission. It's always been about the mission, but people less so. It was really just about getting people to get behind the mission and pushing them there, and, and off they went. And, and it wasn't a lot of this interaction, getting to know people. Our aperture was kind of thin in terms of women in the infantry and really celebrating and, and recognizing different races, religions, and things more formally than we had before. And I think that's what the transition has, has been, is that it's much more of a human endeavor. We in the military adjust with society, or at least we should. And I like to say that, that the military, the army at least, has been at the forefront of that, sometimes a little bit behind, but kind of on par with changes in the military, women in the infantry, for one, gays and lesbians and all of that serving in the military, a transition that we have made for the better, in my opinion. So I think it's really become more about the individual. And it's been prevalent in, in my journey and my growth as a leader, where it was really about, OK, this individual does this certain skill and I need to use him or her in this capacity evolved to this individual has got family and a background like this, strengths and weaknesses that are here, personal professional goals that take them here. And then I can tailor my leadership to the individual. That's how it evolved. And I believe that's how I succeeded along the way was really taking that people-centric approach. When did the, I'm sure there's no fixed start date, but I mean, you wrote the, your first book, it's personal, not personnel, leadership lessons for the battlefield and the boardroom. When did you first find yourself collecting stories, so to speak, about, well, this is good. This is a good lesson here. I need to somehow keep this in my back pocket for further use. Mm -hmm. I started doing that as I matured as a leader in the Army. That's where I trace it back to, because as a leader, stories are really important. And I saw my role as a leader, especially as I grew more to be a more senior leader, is to bring stories in, to hammer home points that I was trying to make about our values, about what I thought was important, about focusing on people. I'd weave stories into any kind of guidance or opportunities I might have in a meeting. And 
I, I think that informed, you know, I didn't know it at the time. And I was, I always enjoyed speaking in the military. I could be very inspirational. I could bring in stories. I could leverage the history and the esprit de corps of an organization and pull that into a speech to really capture a crowd and an audience. And I carried that into my encore life after I transitioned out. And it has now manifested in what I do in terms of professional speaking and in my writing. I have a lot of time to write in the military, but you know, now on the outside, I could carry those stories forward, which I think resonate with my audience. What were some of the top lessons or key lessons? I mean, in our world and coaching, consulting, everybody's got the top 10 list, top five list, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And in your book, Leadership Lessons, were there some that really, I mean, obviously the goal is for you to have the message resonate for your reader, but are there some that continue to resonate for you as lessons that, wow, I'm so glad I experienced this because this is informing much of what I do say and coach today? Well, there's two main things that come out of the book that I carried forward and it's funny, when I'd done a podcast or it was an interview, no, I'd gotten some feedback on the book, and, and it was a, a leader that said to me, man, I wish I had this before I had taken over this organization, because it would have been a great reference perspective for me. I was like, yeah, me too, because <laughs> I never thought that deeply about leadership until I really got down and wrote the book. There's a few things that come out of it that I think are very powerful for leaders and, and maybe form my top three, top 10 list. The first is vulnerability. Now, Howard, I didn't know that it was vulnerability I was really, you know, describing as I really opened up my world in the form of a biography sketch in terms of who Rob Campbell is, the strengths and weaknesses. Not Colonel Campbell, Rob Campbell. Who is this guy? That was vulnerable and 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 risky, but the subordinates gravitated towards that. And the other thing was this approach on investing in people, where you look through the lens of people in everything that you do. Any mission, task, problem set that came to me, my first thing I would think of would be, okay, how does this affect my people? What does this mean for the time and place that we're in right now with my people? And how do I tailor my leadership towards that end? So these are the themes that I carried with me. And it was a lot of fun to write about because you could really reflect back and say, yeah, that's exactly what I was doing and what I meant. And as I move forward, I learned a lot of, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Of course, that was it. Somebody labels it for me. There you go. Or, you, you know, you, the beauty, too, is you get to go back and create a second edition of the book as yeah. you know, new, new, improved leadership lessons. Uh, already thinking about it. You retired, uh, was it back in like 2016? Mm-hmm. How was that reimmersion? And I'm sure there is a term that, that's used within the military for reintegrating yourself in, back into the public society. How did you begin to prepare for that? What a great question, Howard. And I hope a lot of veterans listen to this because it's a leap. I can't say that I had any kind of process or reference or perspective to tap into as I began this profound transition from 27 years in uniform in a very closed and small society into the vast ocean of the general population in the United States. So I, I did talk to a few folks, and I, I don't confess that I had it right coming out, and hence the book. And that was the gap that I was trying to fill by writing that. So, okay, if there's another senior service member coming out, somebody that's done 10 years or more, maybe this could help them in their journey. It's traumatic, Howard. I mean, that's the key word here when you talk about reintegration into society, transitioning out of the military. It's a traumatic event, and a veteran is undergoing trauma when this happens. Now, that's a strong word. 
but it's 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 appropriate because what happens and a friend of mine eric burleson green beret wrote a book on transitioning from the military he explained it to me the neurons in your brain and i may not be stating this I'm totally correct but they, there's grooves in your brain like well-worn riverbeds that these neurons travel as you become used to service and the language and the culture I could step onto a military base today and be easy for me. I know how to operate and talk and speak and do everything automatically. When you transition out of that, when the iron gates of a military base close behind you, and you're now a thrust into a society that doesn't speak your language anymore, now those neurons are traveling along the riverbed, and it's hard for them. They're working harder. They might slip back in. And so that manifests in stress and depression and all those different things. And I was going through that. Luckily, I've got a great army spouse that, you know, her and I could talk a lot. I had friends, former military, that I stayed connected to that kind of helped in the journey. Where all we would do sometimes is commiserate, but it was healing to be able to do that. But it's a very traumatic event because it represents such a drastic change because there is this chasm between society and the military. And it, it really opened my eyes as I made the leap. I find it refreshing that you mentioned your spouse and also the military personnel, the other officers are enlisted that you stayed in contact with. Because using your spouse as an example, if I may, I would imagine that was pretty traumatic for them as well. Yeah. Because they have to get used to you being home. You know, you're uh-huh. you're halfway around the world. All of a sudden, who is this guy? <laughs> Yeah, indeed. I, I'm glad you brought that up and, and, and focused on that because transition, as much as it was traumatic for me, it was the same for my spouse because she lived in, she served in, she served alongside me in a values-based society, in a very closed society where her and I could move from place to place to place. And we did that 16 times in 27 years. But in each place, we could be assured of something and that was a community familiar people familiar language that we could assimilate to and bond with and now on the outside very different for the spouse just as much as the veteran so you know i i think they're doing more in that space the military is the, the defense department is in terms of military spouse transition but it's a big deal and it's a team effort and so whether you've got a spouse or a partner or somebody you've got to find that person that could be your battle buddy, your sergeant, I say often on the outside, because you won't have them, you know, like you do in the military. Let's talk more in depth about the book At Ease and Join the Freedom You Fought For. How is the book constructed and how are you laying out the path for that soldier who is returning to civilian life from the military for them to begin to use and get your your insights, your stories, but also to begin to use that for their own benefit? Well, it's not a step-by-step, you know, do these three things, go see these people, follow this checklist. There's plenty of books out there like that for the actual transition. This book is a, a bit of a combination of my story and some perspectives on different things. I wanted to tell the story. We talked about stories earlier, and I thought that was important in terms of how I even made the decision to transition out after so many years, because my DNA was just subservient to the military, the needs of the military. I couldn't even fathom telling them that I was finished. So that's our start point, and I walked them through the transition. The first book I did in about, oh gosh, 60 or 70 days. This second book took about three, three and a half years to write because I was traveling a journey and contributing to the book along the way. 
And I got to the three and a half year mark. And I was like, okay, I've got something here that's worthwhile. The second part, the perspectives is where I talk about, okay, what do you do about disability? What is it like to go out and search for a job? What about your spouse? What does it mean now that you're both on the outside and you have this new freedom? Because it does. How about those values that were ingrained into you? What do they mean now? How do you reverse some of them, perhaps, to help yourself? I was talking with a veteran friend of mine today, and it was funny because we are not wired to self-promote. We are not wired that way. That's why we suck at writing resumes and we suck in job interviews because we just aren't comfortable talking about ourselves. I bring a lot of these things into the book to give the reader some perspective. And the reader can do whatever it is they decide to do, but they just do so more informed after reading the book. You know, it's interesting. God, it seems like forever now, maybe it was last year, I had a podcast with a woman who is a two-time cancer survivor. And, and for the life of me, it's probably my age. I just can't remember the title. I can remember the author, Amortoshevsky, but she wrote a DIY book for uh, individuals who are either survivors or going through the cancer journey. What about, you know, literally, you have this question, here's, here's your options. You have this question, here's your options. And, and, and as you were describing that, I was thinking, that's kind of like a DIY book is here's my, here's the question that I had or that gets asked. Here's my perspective, and then here's some things perhaps you ought to consider. I think that's fair. I, I, I think there's absolutely some of that there. You know, when you talk about disability, there are lots of different philosophies on disability. I'm a disabled veteran, 60% disabled. I'm not disabled. I can do anything I want to do. Now, I can't run like I used to. I can't run at all, actually. I've got some feet issues. But when you say disabled to me, I'm thinking of somebody without a limb that can't do what normal people might be able to do, right? And so that's that's where I get into this chapter and say, hey, here's how I approached, uh, I approached disability. Do it yourself. You do it the way you think is correct. Because we, as we serve in the military, don't think of a lot of the things that I placed in the book. Why would we have to? Why do, why do we need to worry about a job? Why do we need to worry about insurance? Why do we need to worry about disability? Those are all things that are foreign to us because they don't apply, but in an instant, as we transition almost overnight, they all become very important. So read that perspective and then do it yourself the way you decide to. As you now have, you know, again, your your past, the, the 27 years in the military, you're now the author of two books. Where is Rob Campbell leadership? Where's your direction? And, and are these books kind of informing the work that you're doing today? And for whom are you doing this work for? Yeah, well, the pandemic has done a few things for me. It really helped me kind of niche down and focus on a certain market, right? I was I was kind of spreading myself a bit too thin, and I needed to kind of narrow that down. I want to make a difference in the pharmaceutical industry because uh, a lot of leaders know each other in that space. It's recession-proof. There's money there. There's opportunities there to help leaders. And so I'm going to move my coaching towards that space. I want to get more involved in associations and big groups that get together for my speaking. So I'm going to be an executive leadership coach and a keynote speaker. Less so on the training and consulting side. While I can do that, and I might do that, I'm going to kind of push that aside. On the veteran side, I am the executive director for vet to ceo That is a, uh, where it's a 501c3 nonprofit, vet to ceoorg a great program for entrepreneurship for transitioning veterans. 
And I didn't write the book necessarily because of that, but I joined that team. It's kind of my new tribe on the outside. But coupled with that, and when we get past this pandemic, I want to get out and start doing some workshops near military bases for senior service members that can see the light now at the end of the tunnel and and pursue that and bring my book into the fold. And a friend of mine who's my mentor and coach now in my life is not a military person, but I think can inform that journey greatly and to start to spread that message. So that's where I want to go on, on both of those angles, because I really get a lot of fulfillment out of both and I can do a lot of good in both places. I was thinking as you were just describing this and, and you said like when the pandemic ends and it's over and, you know, I coach inside organizations, internal coaching, career development, career transition. And as much as I would like to be in a room with a group of people delivering a work, facilitating a workshop, doing one-on-one coaching, so much of what we do now is all via the Zoom you know, or Zoom overload. But I would I would think that even the presentations, the facilitations, the trainings you have to offer can be also easily delivered, facilitated, you know, virtual. Certainly uh, coaching can. And much easier, you can make a personal connection with somebody. I've always preferred the interpersonal communication. Sure. But, you know, it really is much more convenient for the coach and the participant if you can connect on a medium like this. Speaking, on the other hand, while you can do it via Zoom, and I have, it's just less effective. And I'm an optimist. You know, I I certainly don't want to shut down my speaking. I want to keep doing it. But I'm really eager to get people back into a room because I've got to bond and connect with an audience. I've got to be able to read them and see how they're reacting to what I'm saying and then move down those passages on a Zoom call. They could be checking email for all I know. All right. I mean, you just you don't know. You don't you miss that interpersonal communication, which you just cannot replicate. Well, you know, it's interesting. You've got 20 some years experience of relying on that face to face, looking at body language, the eyes, the the murmurs, and you know, anything else that's going on around you. So I can see where, yeah, this 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 is important for me to have in how I take my my career and this work that I'm doing forward. I've had a couple of questions, not meant to be gotcha questions, I assure you. (laughs) But as you look back at your career and what you're doing now, what would you say to the 18-year-old or the 22-year-old Rob Campbell today, if you could? Yeah, a couple of things. I would tell him to relax. I was probably a bit high-strung as a young leader, I thought that I needed to be. I thought that I needed to be a bit of a hothead. You know, I was worried about whether I'd make it or not. So I'd probably plant a few seeds in terms of relax and enjoy the journey, be in the moment more and, and not so much in the future and do the best you can with today. The other thing is I would I would tell him to tone down his sense of humor. I grew up as a comedian. I was the class clown and I was really good at it. Maybe one of these days I'll do some stand-up comedy because, and I, I'm going to a comedy writing class this week actually, because <laughs> it's it's another interest of mine. But and this is a weakness, Howard, and I talk about this in my book, the first book. When I was not confident about something, I would default to my sense of humor because I could leverage that, I could gain power from that, I could captivate the room with that. It works good in ice-breaking scenarios and trying to bring a sense of calm and and break the tension, but not so well when you're really trying to be serious with somebody and they can't quite figure it out. Is he joking or is he not? So I would tell this young man that, hey, dude, box up that sense of humor uh, a bit more than, than you do. 
I got better at that as I got older because I saw the impacts of that, especially as a senior leader, cracking jokes all the time. I mean, that can be very hazardous. So that's that's the advice I would give to a young Rob Campbell. But unfortunately, it's just this old man left. There you go. You know, I'm curious too. One of my podcast guests, uh, John Bentley, he's retired. I want to say Air Force and Army as well. He's in in the healthcare space right now. And he tells a story on, on one of our earliest podcasts about one of his commanding officers said, you're like a can of Coke. You know, what happens when you <laughs> shake it? You know, because all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. And so for our listeners, that sound effect was me going. Pew. Um, <laughs> what was the best or enlightened piece of advice that continues to stick with you today from your leadership? Because they would be the ones, too, that would be recognizing that, for example, when that humor might not have been the best way to communicate what has to get done. Yeah. One of the ones that sticks out to me was a philosophy that my boss used. He was an Army three-star general, and the task load upon him and the responsibility on his shoulders was enormous. And I, I just, I was his aide at the time. And I was, I just marveled over the amount of things that came his way, but it yet his ability to, to get through it. And he operated off of this philosophy, do only those things that only I can do and hand the rest off to others. That briefs well when you've got large staffs, but it, even as I'm doing right now, I'm just, I'm, I'm hired, I've hired two people. I'm looking at a third for my own business to hand off those things that I don't necessarily want to do so that I can focus on my craft. So it was that for sure. And there were others that I saw would push things aside. Oh my God, we're so busy. We've got to get this mission done. We've got all these things to accomplish. Okay, that's great. But I'm going to go talk to John over here or Mary over here and see what's happening. I'm going to visit them. So those that really stuck to that, when they said priority, they meant it. And those are the things I carried forward with me that really sunk in to say, yeah, if you say it's important, then, then you ought to mean it and you ought to, you ought to execute off of that. I mean, there, there were lots of great examples that I had to follow. Before we end our, our conversation today, Rob, I'd love if you could share with our listeners, and we, we try to incorporate it in, into as many podcasts as we can. And one of the reasons we call it Success Insight, whereas we're looking for some insight or insight to go. Thinking about the families, spouses, maybe it's the soldier that's just right now beginning to contemplate exiting the military. Is there an insight to go that you would like to share with our listeners on the topic of, again, of your choosing? Sure. You know, in terms of the transition, the the number one piece of advice I have for veterans and really anybody in your audience that's in a transition, maybe retiring or stepping into something new, is to have crystal clarity on who you are, what your passion truly is, what is it you love to do, what gives you fulfillment and energy, motivates you to get out of bed and lets you fall asleep at night fulfilled. You've got to have clarity on that. To most service members, if all service members, as they come into the military, there's no magic system or sauce that says, okay, you're going to be this occupational skill. All they do is look at the aptitude of the individual and the needs of the service. And poof, Howard, you're an Intel analyst. And you do that. Now, being part of a band of brothers and sisters trumps that job passion misalignment. But on the outside, it's completely different. Some 80-something percent of, of veteran college students pick a major or degree or a study different from what they did in the military. And the system, the society 
will tell you to do what you did in the military because they assume that's what you love doing. So you've got to know yourself and operate off of that blank piece of paper. And I say in the, in the book title, enjoy the freedom you fought for. It's a newfound freedom. And even I have to remind myself of it every now and then. The tentacles of service are now released. You can do whatever you want. In the military, it was easy. Follow this path, do this, and follow the people that are in front of you. On the outside, you can write your own ticket, and you ought to do that. That's not to say, don't go get a job and support your family. You can, but let that be a vehicle to some greater goal down the road, and don't ever lose sight of that, because all you're going to get out of job number one, just because it offers you a paycheck, is unhappiness. You can do better. Your next chapter ought to be better than the last. And too often we look back and say, well, the greatest days are behind me. No, they're not. They're ahead of you. It brings up another question. So I kind of fibbed a little bit. So we're not going <laughs> to close it down. Fire away, Howard. I totally get about pursuing your passion and knowing enough about yourself and really thinking about what do I love to do? What do I envision myself doing for the next 20, 30, 40 years? Multiple careers. What are some initial steps that you would offer to the the returning veteran or anybody for that matter, coming out of college for that matter, or even going into college, coming out of high school, you said, you know, your dad was in sales and insurance. Well, okay, I'm going to be a, guess I'm going to go and do what my dad did. Mm -hmm. How do you, or what do you say to them? And, or is there an activity or a process you would go through with them to help them begin that self-discovery process of what are you truly passionate about? Because I think we have to love what we do. We should love what we do. And I don't think I'd want me or I wouldn't want my clients to do anything they really didn't feel the passion for. So what would be a conversation or an idea, a thought you would give to that individual? Yeah, perfect question. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Here's what I would offer to a veteran, to a, a college student, either entering school or about to graduate, step out into the world. There's a couple of exercises. You know, so I'll ask the question, and this is what they need to answer. If you could wake up tomorrow and do whatever you wanted to do, and you couldn't fail, money wasn't an issue. Take all those things out of the equation. What would you do? You know, think long and hard about that. Maybe there's a few answers to that, right? Well, I like to surf and fish. Okay, that's great. Probably won't make a living off of that right away. What else is there, right? And that gets you closer to say, yeah, this is the stuff that I enjoy doing. For me, it's investing in people. It's making a difference in the lives of someone else. I get that through coaching. I get that through speaking. So it keeps me fulfilled. The other one to ask, and it's kind of the opposite of that, is what would you do even if you knew you were going to fail? I heard Seth Godin ask this the other day, just a day or two ago on uh, Tim Ferriss' podcast. What would you do if you knew you were going to fail? Man, the answer to that one is really something solid, right? That really should highlight to you something that, oh, yeah, this is what I absolutely believe in to my core, and I would chase it even if I knew failure was, was imminent. I'd do it. And then the, the third question is reflect back on your life, whether you're 20 or 40, and think of three to five different moments in your life when you were in it, you were energized, you were confident, you were feeling it, you were levitating. I mean, it was real. Think hard about that. Jot those down, right? Get them all on paper. Just, just do that first. And then go back and look at those and see if there's any themes that jump out. Because I think what you might find in between the words there is some core purpose and passion. 
I told you about my military journey and what attracted me in the military was this investing in people opportunity, was this band of brothers and sisters being behind a cause that was bigger than me. All of that attracted me. And as I go back and look at my life and answer those questions, it's that that's what bubbles up. That's what comes out to me are those answers. So those are powerful answers that we don't ask ourselves much. And we're surrounded by traditional society, which pushes us in directions it wants us to be. That's not always aligned with who we are. Kind of pushes us in a straight line. Here's where you are. This is where you got to go. But, right. you know, life is not like that. It's a very, it's a winding road. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Those are great insights. And we'll include those in our show notes as well. Rob, a uh, true pleasure to have you on Success Insight Podcast. And if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, where are the best places for them to go? Two places, Howard. The first one is LinkedIn. I'm on there often, every day. Rob Campbell Leadership on LinkedIn. You'll find me there. You'll see a picture of my mug and a little bit of background in terms of executive coaching and speaking. And then the second is my website, robcampbellleadership.com. So R-O-B, Campbell with two L's, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L, just like the soup. And then leadership. So there's three total L's in that word.com. That's my main website that can take you in a lot of places. My books, blogs, you know, you name it. Fantastic. Well, we will definitely provide the links back to the website and to LinkedIn. And of course, the links to the book pages on Amazon. And you'll also have those obviously on your website. Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I should, you know, have a call out. I mean, I met you via another podcast guest of ours, Nathan Aganaga. He's been on three times with us. We did this guy wrote three books in a year. I don't like, he's an animal, but uh, he's a machine. Yeah. <laughs> he's a machine, but yeah. you know, was, I'm really glad, you know, I just always keep track of what Nathan's doing. And when I saw your interaction, it's like, yeah, I got to have you on the podcast. And I'm so glad you were open to to joining us today. Hey, thanks. You know, I told uh, Nate sent me a note this week because he knew I was coming on and I shot a note back. I said, yeah, Another example of non-commissioned officers taking care of this old officer here. And it, it is a classic example of that. It, Nate and guys like him made me the leader that I am. Fantastic. Well, once again, thank you. And we're looking forward to your continued success. And hopefully uh, this podcast will be part of that, that journey for you. So thank you again. Thanks, Howard. Great discussion. All right, folks, we have just been chatting with Rob Campbell. He is a leadership coach, keynote speaker, veteran, and spouse advocate. And he is also the author of two phenomenal books. The first is It's Personal, Not Personnel, Leadership Lessons for the Battlefield and the Boardroom. And his latest book that we spent a lot of time chatting about is At Ease, Enjoying the Freedom You Fought For, A Soldier's Story and Perspectives on a Journey to an Encore Life and Career. And, you know, Rob shared some great insights, which we are going to include also in our show notes of things to think about. Again, think of your passion, your purpose. You know, if you could wake up today, walk out the door. In fact, that's a question I ask my own clients. You know, if you could do anything you want, what would that be? And really just some, some phenomenal insights from Rob and just a, a pleasure to learn about his experience and journey from the military out now into civilian life. Folks, if you enjoyed this podcast, you know, do go out and visit Rob at robcampbellleadership.com. We'll provide the links to LinkedIn, Facebook, and uh, I know he's on Instagram as well, as well as to the author pages on Amazon. And if you enjoyed our podcast, you know, let us know in the comment section on successinsightpodcast.com. We are also on the major podcast channels 
iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music. We're on YouTube, and you can also find us on our podcast pages on Facebook and on LinkedIn, Success Insight Podcast. All right, folks, there you have it. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day, wear your mask, practice social distancing, take care of yourselves, take care of your family, and we will see you on the next episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.